All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Chainlink God podcast, where we break down the information asymmetry on all things blockchains, oracles, and smart contracts. So today we're going to have a discussion about DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations, uh, and specifically the role within the crypto ecosystem and the role within society and some of the benefits and some of the limitations that exist. DAOs have gotten a lot of hype over the past couple of years within crypto as as a fundamentally different way to uh, engage in social coordination. And some have even gone as far as to say that DAOs have solved governance once and for all. Um, but as we've kind of seen over time, DAOs are very complex. And at the end of the day, humans are humans. So you have to deal with the uh, human dynamic of people are not perfect. And so struggles always end up occurring. So discuss this topic of DAOs with the Crypto Oracle and I, we have on the podcast, Dr. Nick or Nick Almond. How are you doing today? Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm great. Thanks. So just to kick things off, um, could you provide just like a little bit of background on who you are and kind of what your expertise in governance and DAOs are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, my background's in physics, actually. I spent the first 10 years of my career in um, physics, ended up as an experimental physicist, um, kind of realized that wasn't really for me. So went via astrophysics for a couple of years and then ended up teaching maths and cryptography for a little bit at a university as a lecturer and then sort of slowly drifted into the kind of senior management game there so I ended up running a lot of master's courses in uh, first maths then education so sort of drifted into learning theory for a little bit and then ultimately you kind of end up in this governance game of of how do you manage thousands of people in in large institutions and I sort of started to get interested in decentralized organizations. I built one inside an institution um, and sort of got quite excited about that as a paradigm. And then when the DAO happened in 2016, I was already sort of peripherally interested in crypto because of my sort of days of teaching cryptography. Um, and then I've just been down the rabbit hole since. And um, I actually left a job as an associate dean at the London College of Fashion in about 2020 um, to set up a startup uh, um, called finance.vote, which was a kind of prediction market using quadratic voting, um, which is still going on. And over the past couple of years, we've been building the DAO infrastructure that we needed around ourselves to become a DAO. And more recently, we've sort of realized we've got a DAO protocol and we've got a really interesting modular way of, of building DAOs. And so we're just about to launch that protocol called Factory DAO. How much has like your previous past influence governance? Like is, is diving into crypto, is governance vastly different than in other fields or are they, is there a lot of similarities? There's, there is. I mean, I often big institutions are like decentralized organizations, especially kind of universities because no one wants to be governed, right? So it, they, they've got the similar dynamic as decentralized organizations. Um, there's there's crossover, and I think institutional governance is a better match than, say, corporate governance in a lot of ways for DAOs. Um, so, yeah, it massively informs everything I do. I think it really helps being in DAOs if you have been in a role of, of doing governance stuff in the past, for sure. Um, but it is basically uncharted territory. Um, we're sort of rewriting the book on, on organization here, I think. It's funny that you, you say that because when I was kind of preparing for this podcast i was thinking about like you know what is like because when you think about DAOs, you know it's probably i think it's good to compare them to something like 
you know, CLG said in the opening, like a lot of people were like, oh, DAOs are going to change the world. But also, I, I think the alternative has happened more recently, like where DAOs have gotten like a super negative rap, like they're theater, you know, like they're they're just they all suck, you know. And, and I think, though, like so you have to like kind of compare them to like, you know, different governance structures that exist. And I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, they're kind of like in one sense, they're kind of like companies in that you know the token holders do not all DAOs but a lot of DAOs like the token holders they want to see the value of the token go up so they want to see the protocol do well they want the foundation or whoever's running it to have some type of revenue usually and not always but I'm just talking about in general but also they're kind of like governance governance governments because they're kind of governing this kind of public social public space public protocol or like um you know this kind of public good in a way most of the time not always though and they're but they're also kind of like a club too like some of them or it's like a social club so they're like they have these like they're not really really i I couldn't really pin them down into one but i i guess i don't know a lot about like you know how university um governance works but like when I was thinking about them, I kind of like bucketed them in the three different areas, but they're not really, they don't really fall into one category per se. I think that's absolutely spot on. I think you've, you've really sort of detected that it, it is a kind of amount, I think it is closer to um, societal like governance. So government, government, if you like, um, mainly because of the dynamics in them. So unlike traditional organizations, you know, people can come and go and it's, there's a lot more sort of, um, freedom and agency involved than you would get in a in a traditional like organization and and really they, they map well to the institutional scale government uh, scale governance because just to the volume and size that they can get to so you know you can have many thousands of people wandering in and out of them um so yeah it's a it's a new governance paradigm for sure and i think it, you're right it does touch on lots of different types of governance from from those kind of things and the, and the club thing works as well um and I think you can draw on things like co-ops and communes and all these kind of things that have happened in the past. It's a bit of a mix of everything, really. And I think before we, before maybe we go a bit deeper, maybe it might be good to set some context. Like, what would, how would you generally like define a DAO, like the purpose of a DAO and kind of like the benefits over traditional organizational structures? Yeah, um, I tend to kind of, when someone asks me to, you know, what is a DAO? We, we are at that point in this conversation. I tend to say something different every time. Um, I'm trying to pin it down and, and I'm, I'm in the process at the moment of talking to people like lawyers and regulators and other DAO operators and so on about this. And there's, I've counted like 50, 60 different definitions out there. Um, at the high level, I like to think of them as, we're basically the, the goal is to try and reconceptualize organization for the digital world. You know, the digital world is a kind of different plane of existence almost to kind of IRL governance. So that's happening. They're almost like digital coordination hubs on the internet. Um, and, you know, at one level, it's kind of humans meet smart contracts. Um, but the definition I'm sort of landing on is that DAOs are like socio-technical systems. Um, and they use decentralized technologies to achieve autonomy and social coordination around digital assets. Um, so that's kind of my current definition at the moment. And, and the, the, the important bit is this socio-technical bit. It's um, smart contracts are kind of purely automated code. Uh, 
Um, but when you hand, add humans back into it, it creates this new dynamic of, you know, humans and machine interacting in an interesting way. Yeah, it's kind of similar to how I was defining it. I, I, I like that word socio-technical. I, I didn't come up with that, but it was kind of like on one end, you know, I mean, really all a DAO is doing is collectively making decisions about something. It's trying to do that in a more distributed, transparent, and I would say trust-minimized manner. And I think to do that, to bring, it brings in this technical element of blockchains, particularly smart contracts, to basically, you're basically using a more tamper-proof, transparent type of software to codify the rules and structures. And so, yeah, so and that obviously has benefits, you know, of making it very trans. I think the ultimate benefit, the more I look into it, is, is really like that you know how the system works. And it might not work good. It might not. It might work great. It might not work great. But at least you you have you know how it works. If well, as long as there's people who can read the code, um, and then obviously there's some other benefits. But that's kind of what I landed on too. You make decisions, and then you're using this kind of new software that's more transparent and can be can be built in a tamper-proof way or run in a tamper-proof manner, um, which is really the distinct feature of DAOs is this anchoring to blockchains. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's, um, again, there are these fluid ideas. If you, if you go back to the original DAO, the original DAO idea, the DAO, was essentially a smart contract that allowed people to pool money together and then conduct a kind of election on where that money got sent to. So it was almost like a decentralized fund of sorts. And that's the kind of you know DAO 1.0 idea. We pool money together and we vote on where it goes and the rules are set um in the smart contract and that's what it is it does what it does um and but they can be a lot more you know the, they they can branch into much more different codified rule sets and you we're getting into this world where there's like a, a set of smart contracts like you know you've got DeFi contracts and you've got these other different modular components but ultimately you have this kind of algorithmic component that people are coordinating around you mentioned the DAO, which was pretty infamous in 2016 when there ended up being a bug in the code and ended up getting drained and the Ethereum network forked. And it seems like there's kind of a schism or a dichotomy where on one end of the spectrum, people believe that code is law where everything needs to execute according to the code. And it seems like a lot of DAOs are kind of on the other side of the spectrum where it's more down to social consensus. And if the community agrees to a change, then the code can be changed. Do, do you think that DAOs inherently don't follow code as law, or do you think that's part of a DAO is code as law, but then the human dynamic isn't? Like, how, how do these two concepts interplay? Are they are they incompatible, or can they be reconciled? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I wrote a piece on this just over a year ago, which I called governance optimization. And you've got the two ends of the spectrum, right? So governance minimization is basically the Bitcoin way, and the kind of code is law paradigm came out of this governance minimization idea that you know you you ossify these rules into code they're immutable they're on the blockchain they're not supposed to change under you know pain of death you know there's 21 million bitcoins and that can never change um and that's fine and, and works for you know bitcoin if you if you're trying to just do one thing and but if you as as you start to try and get more complex and do more adaptive and agile things, then you need governance. 
and it's about finding this balance. So the two ends of the spectrum, like governance minimization, is that you basically code as law, you never change it, um, eliminate humans from the game as much as possible. The opposite end of this is like governance maximization. We're, we're just, all we're doing is governing. It's just relentless meetings, decisions. We're changing all the time. Um, and for me, there's this kind of sweet spot in the middle where you use the, the affordances of blockchain technology to like freeze bits of uh, process into code that you know work um, and then only iterate them when there's like a significantly new way of doing it that you can pivot to. Um, so there's a sweet spot in between, I think. So you can get the sort of best of both worlds, if you like. I guess my, you know, uh, this is a really hard question to answer. I don't expect you to have a perfect answer, but I guess what a lot of people will say is, you know, once you open Pandora's box where you can just change stuff based on social consensus, you know, is that just going back to kind of what we had before? You know, what we have now is, you know, that humans can just change it when they want, you know, is that is that opening yeah. Pandora's box too much? Or or I, I think it's inevitable. And and uh, to the, you know, I don't know, it's just a very, uh, it's, it's hard to like get both, it seems. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what governance is all about, really. It's how do you adapt without corrupting the system so it collapses? Um, and, and really, the more you open the door to changes, the more likely you get these kind of like black swan events where, you know, it gets corrupted, it gets ca captured, gets taken over, it collapses for whatever reason. Um, but the alternative is you, you kind of are in stasis all the time. So, yes, there's a potential that things can go wrong and humans be humans and break everything. Um, but you need to take risks if you're governing. You know, if you if you want to do something different, then you need an adaptable rule set. So good governance will build frameworks and clear processes and protocols around making those changes, but minimize, minimizing the risks of it. I agree with what you said there of like having very clear processes and very clear delineation of what can be changed, what can, and also setting, finding that sweet spot of like, how much consensus needs to be changed and, and, and engaging that based on how big of a change that is or how important of a change that is, uh, is, is probably going to be extremely important. I guess just, you know, what, what would you say right now is like, what would you say the general sentiment on the current state of DAOs is? Um, I think there's two things here. One is like, um, what's, what's my sentiment on it? And then what the sentiment of the market is what everyone else thinks. Um, I'm basically a permable when it comes to, to DAOs. I, I think that this is a radical new paradigm for organization and like, you know, organizations like the building blocks civilization. It's like we're, we're trying to do something really significant and change the fundamental ways that we, we organize. And um, however, I do recognize that this is, um, it's early, right? These are, uh, emerging technologies. So emerging technologies are, you know, they're typically not as good as the thing it's trying to disrupt for a long time. Um, so, you know, you can look at all sorts of technological development over the years and, and look at things like, so like the digital camera um, was basically invented in like 1975 by a guy called Steve Sasson at, at Kodak. And it could do like 50 by 50 pixel pictures. 
and everyone including Kodak said that's like that's terrible that's never going to work um and you know it took 20 years to get to the point where we had a or even longer 25 years when we had a one megapixel digital camera that could even close get close to rivaling film and I, I think we're in that stage of of DAOs we're in this they're clunky messy suboptimal compared to you know the centralized ways of doing things um but when the disruptive moment happens you'll get this like exponential growth out when the, when the when the foundation of the the tooling's there um we'll start to see them radically improve on the conventional way of doing things and you'll get this kind of exponential sort of fly out of it um but many at the moment don't really see that far out we're just looking at what's happening now and you know every week you can look at some dow based disaster um you know and it's going wrong and it's easy for people to say look this is never going to work dows are a bad idea people can't govern things and we shouldn't trust them to and the sort of prevailing sentiment isn't at the moment you know dows will never work um and, and then you've got this interesting emerging sentiment where people are sort of suggesting oh well we should just import corporate governance into them, get the board of directors in, have managers um, in, in, install authority chains and, and basically just copy the company world inside DAOs, which I find kind of um, troubling as well, to be honest. But um, yeah, so people are not like, I think there's a subset of people who really, they're DAO-pilled, right? They get it. They, they know where it's going. They know how can disrupt, disruptive they can be uh, and can see past the current sort of state of things. Um, but it's totally understandable that people are sort of not quite convinced yet. Yeah, I would I would agree that most technologies start out in a very primitive form, almost uh, just a, mm-hmm. trying to get initial product market fit. And you, you mentioned like some of the DAOs kind of have clunky and some of them are kind of have issues. What what do you see as like the larger issues that existing DAOs today have run into that have kind of caused this uh, more negative sentiment that DAOs are not ideal? I think there's... Um... We've got these kind of rigid frameworks for DAOs um, at the moment. So they, they're kind of slightly hamstrung with what they're capable of doing. Um, so, you know, we, we've still got some quite rigid DAO structures, which are basically these elaborate multi-sigs. You know, what we're doing is, is voting on where this money goes. And then what happens with the money after that is it's a bit of a black box. We send money to these people. They may or may not perform. And we're missing the kind of follow-on from where that money goes. So someone gets a grant and there's not that much follow-up from it. Uh, so we're missing that sort of second layer of governance that goes into, into chasing down uh, a product output from, from where it goes. Um, but there's also these like failures of trust. We, we're still using, you know, a multi-sig and snapshot for like 90% of DAOs. Um, so the, we still fall back on this trust um point where actually there's still five people let's say on a multi-sig that that actually have the say over everything um so there's there's we've got kind of in, incomplete trust models at this point i would say and we've still not quite cracked the social consensus machinery that's necessary to be able to effectively listen to let's say a thousand people and convert that signal into coherent output so we, we've just not quite got the new paradigm of tools required for listening to this kind of disorganized mob of people and turning it into a coherent output. 
Um, so consequently, what we've got is a lot of really messy, uncoordinated DAOs that where the people are waiting around for things to happen and no one's picking them up and all these sort of things. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a bit early. Um, and, and some are even catastrophically die due to things like governance attacks. Um, and, you know, you only need to see a few of these before people think, ah, oh, this doesn't work. I guess what, what I always wonder, though, is, you know, like you were talking about well, a few things, like you had mentioned previously about like hierarchical structures. Like to, to me, it seems very hard to run a complex protocol organization I'm going to focus more on protocols for a sec. Like it's a very complex things. There aren't that many people that really understand them and they could make highly educated decisions. You Like a lot of people that maybe are just hold the token, like a lot of them really only want the price to go up in the short term. I don't, I, and not all of them, I'm just generalizing, but you know, that's their primary focus. So like, how do you, I really wonder how, how, first off, how many people actually want to participate in a protocol DAO? I don't know how many people, I feel like a lot of people, they just want it to work well and they don't actually want to, because like being in a DAO and actually a, a, like a, a utopian type DAO that we would all love is like everyone has to kind of take responsibility. They got to spend time. They may even have to expend resources to to really understand what's going on also not to mention to help drive adoption, help to get partners to, to work with the protocol. So like, it seems to me like, how, how do you first off get responsibility? Like who's going to take responsibility to take, to do all these roles? Like you're going to, it seems like you need some type of a hierarchical structure uh, to, for that to work. And all like, or else like, I've seen like these really flat structures where it just, it just, like, like synthetics try this and then they kind of move to this kind of spartan council role um, and it seems like it's worked more efficiently uh, for them and so i guess you know i i guess a couple like how many people actually want to participate in DAOs, and also like how do you get things done with that with having a super flat you know organizational structure yeah really good question i think there's um so i i think flat Perfectly flat organizations are a bit of a myth. Um, there's always hierarchy. You know, there's there's always a kind of asymmetry in power in any organization just through the fact that some people are more committed or that some people have a better ability to achieve the organizational goals. And sort of pretending that hierarchy isn't there can lead you to this kind of like tyranny of the structurelessness problem, which is the power just manifests in ways that um, are destructive and it just falls to the kind of more implicitly powerful people. You basically so, have a, a power vacuum or you could have a tragedy yes. of the commons. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it kind of just all ends in infighting and, um, you know, people, you know, somebody steps, steps up and starts to assume the kind of responsibility and, and, and bosses everyone around. It all kind of collapses fairly quickly because it turns kind of toxic. So, yeah, the, 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 there's no such thing as a perfectly flat org. So it's about more about creating um, hierarchy, uh, hierarchies that are explicitly codified and are not fixed. So the problem with tra traditional organizations is that 
you know, people kind of drift up into this, like, you know, upper management sort of top of the pyramid sort of um, um, area of the organization and then just sort of protect their positions. And they, they quite often, they battled their way up there and they hit this kind of inertia point and they become fixed. And, and that's when, you know, things start to just get slow and clunky because you've just got these people stuck at the top. Um, but there is necessarily always going to need to be some separation of the people who are um, more directly committed to the organization than not. So I like to think of it, the, um, they're almost like a, a sphere of, of contribution uh, where you've got like the core in the middle and out towards the mantle and the crust, you know, like the kind of earth structure diagram. And the crust might be 30,000 people, but it's thin amount of contribution. And the goal is to create clear and obvious paths to becoming a core member. And the, the route to doing that is through, you know, incentivization. We are in a financial paradigm and people will do that and people will step up, step up and participate and contribute if it makes financial sense for them to do so. So we need to generate these processes for flowing the crypto assets, the reserve crypto assets from the DAO to the people who have contributed the most. Um, and, you know, if the DAO starts to perform, the protocol starts doing well, then the token, you know, captures the value, then everyone who holds the assets that they've earned will benefit from that proportionally to how much work they've done. They're kind of, that's kind of uh, the more I've thought about it, you know, is like it seems to me the best model that I think will eventually happen is you'll have kind of this, it's kind of how the US was supposed to be, it was originally set up. I don't know if it's necessarily how it works today, but where you kind of have this, it's not, it's, but there's a little some differences. One, you'd have kind of a representative democracy where you you have kind of this leadership structure that makes that whether it's a foundation or that basically does the day-to-day -day, day -day operations but then they are accountable to this larger DAO and the DAO can override them if they want maybe by like a supermajority consensus and then I also think you may have some huge decisions that are made by the DAO directly and you know they don't have they don't go directly through the the um, more hierarchical structure and i do agree with you that um it's really important to you know you need like upward mobility in the in the dow in some form like people have to like perform or they can be replaced and you have to have some way for people to replace them so they're just not embedded in there like you said before so like having some and i think this gets into a deeper topic of like maybe something like soulbound tokens or something where like how do you gain reputation in a DAO in a not and not just a financial manner where then you can actually move upward in the DAO um it's you know if, especially if you're popular within the DAO um and assume a leadership position as opposed to it being some fixed thing that only the largest token holders have or you know only if the founders have um, but but I do yeah I do I do see it as this kind of representative structure that's kind of anchored to this basically more accountable at the end of the day. Like today, you know, the, the government is not really that accountable to people. Like, you know, it's very hard to like get things overturned. Like it takes such a massive effort, especially with how the news cycle works and everything. Like it, to, to, to give people to, uh, to get a sustained 
political cause that going is, is so hard. It seems like the DAOs are much more agile where if like there is a big uproar about something you can get changed quicker. And so that's why I kind of see the DAO is, but then you also have this kind of leadership structure so you can be efficient, like an actual company, because I think you need to be as well. Yeah, I, I think um, there's a few things in there. I think the I kind of hope we we bypass this kind of representative democracy phase because it kind of evidently doesn't work that well in the real world. I mean, there's it kind of becomes this popularity contest where you could imagine just you know a handful of influencers running all the DAOs because they've got big Twitter accounts or something. Um, so I'm a bit. It's a bit skeptical of that. I think there's going to be definitely, you know, this you know liquid democracy ideas is definitely something that's been in the Dow zeitgeist for quite a long time, where you you know you can quite fluidly direct your token votes to some representatives in the Dow, and they can form these leadership sort of dynamics. And I, and I do think leadership is a um, is an important concept for Dow's. I think you know traditional organisations have this very management type structure where you've got um, you know, somewhat some boss above you in sort of tiers that's making sure you deliver your work to specification and you're basically subordinate to that person. And I think actually DAOs are much more in the kind of leadership way because DAOs run on kind of local autonomy. So I think one of the key delineations is that the freedom and agency and local autonomy is central to the to the DAO idea. You can you can leave whenever you want. It's not like a traditional organization where you're bound by some contract and you have to do what your manager tells you to. Um, so but, leadership. But is that, but is that an, a positive? Or I mean, I think there's some positive, but I also think there's some negatives in that oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Does it's so it's a different paradigm, right? It's, it doesn't. It, everything's got its trade-offs. So um, I wrote a piece on this a couple of weeks ago where DAOs, because they have this much more fluid um, population, because they have these different voices, because they're more dynamic and fluid in their, in their nature, in, their, in who's participating, who's doing their work, they are, you, you get more sort of diversity, interconnectedness within the, within the DAOs, and you get more emergence and more problems, but more emergent productivity as well. So that... They're places of innovation in the sense they can be much more creative than a conventional organization because you get this um, flow of, of new voices coming into the organization in a consistent manner. But with that comes, you know, considerable problems as well. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's all a trade-off space. Um, you, can't, so like, you can't win completely. I do agree you get this flow of information. I think the problem, though, becomes like, who then takes that flow of information and then turns it into action and if it's like if there's not this like person that like this is our responsibility to basically take this put it into action and like kind of lead the charge in a way then it like it just like becomes this very slow yeah. and inefficient process that doesn't kind go of too many cooks any, probably and, and then how does it compete with much more agile structures. So for me, this is very much the problem we've been working on for the last few years is the, the paradigm becomes more about curation. So you're, you've got all these ideas. You've got a lot. Everyone wants to do something differently. You need social consensus tools that can collect all these ideas. And then through kind of 
kind of democratic processes. I'm a big fan of voting technologies, even though Vitalik's kind of gone a bit against coin voting. I'm still very bullish on it and use them to curate the best ideas to the top. So you need organizations that, you know, the processes that make the best ideas float to the top. And once they gain enough traction, they get funding and then get operationalized. So it's when money gets involved that someone can then come up and convert that to a productive outcome. So you have to like curate all these different ideas, um, which is quite unconventional in traditional organizations where you wouldn't necessarily have, everyone doesn't necessarily have a voice on how the whole organization should run. Yeah, there's kind of like a weird dichotomy of like, DAOs are ultra decentralized, maximally decentralized, and then they move too efficiently, but then centralized organizational structures, they can move a lot more agile, but then there's no checks and balances. And it seems like there's some projects end up living in kind of like an uncanny valley where they have a protocol company, like a labs company that basically does the development work. They launch a token to create a DAO, and they basically have this DAO that owns its own tokens that they can then have the token holders vote to determine who gets grants from those tokens and then ideally does protocol work. But there ends up becoming a dichotomy of, you know, if this protocol becomes valuable, does the value accrue to the governance tokens in the DAO or does it accrue to the labs company and their equity that exists? And so it seems like this may not be an entirely sustainable model. And it's kind of a weird, they have a DAO, but they don't necessarily have full control or full value capture of the protocol they generate. And it's almost like there's a conflict between the centralized labs entity who created the protocol and then the DAO and the token that it issued is, is, is this like a sustainable model? Is this realistic for projects to pursue? Because it, it does seem like some projects have ended up going down this route intentionally or otherwise. Yeah, I, I think you're entirely spot on. And there's this interesting tech, interesting tension between these different entities. That are, it's, um, so you'll quite often, so if you take that, like Yuga Labs model, for example, you know, you've got an NFT um, that generated a lot of money. Then you've got a company um so this is the yuga labs company and then you've got the eight dow i think it's called with the token and it is very much up in the air where the value flow gets captured there's a there's a tension between does the value generated by the product go to the company does it go to the token does it go to the nfts um and i actually think this is the this is kind of like the nexus of the next era of corporate governance i think we're going to have um the interplay between and, and I I think they'll trend towards hybrid decentralized organization structures. I think there's things that DAOs are good at, and I think there's things that companies are good at. I don't think this is like a paradigm that means that we don't have LLCs in 20 years' time. Um, it means we have two different paradigms of governance that we can play off synergistically. Um, so DAOs are good at this in-context exploratory work with you know, community members being directly at the heart of it. Um, they're kind of more innovative in nature, they're more fluid and agile. But what you end up with is un unpredictable outcome. You might get, you know, heart heartbreaking work of staggering genius one day and absolutely nothing for three months. Um, whereas companies, you know, they deliver stuff on regimented outputs, they deliver products to specification, to deadlines. And, and I think that's where the, um, the interplay will be formed out with these models have kind of emerged out of necessity almost um in some cases it's purely so you can raise money on equity and on tokens in some cases it's for regulatory reasons 
but we've not really got to the point where we formalize the relationship between these entities that is, you know, um, that's right and sensible for the protocols yet. Um, but I do see a path to, to some interesting new structures emerging over the next few years. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that, that it's really beneficial in a way to, yeah, you have this kind of DAO that's tasked more with kind of like more of just like a it's kind of like i guess like a governance role in a way but it's not really like a typical company role per se like they're not delivering things but they're helping curate like you said like who's going to deliver those things um, which you can basically kind of outsource that whether that's to the development company or that's to third parties through grants um, but go, going off of something you said before i'm curious why why do you like token weighted voting? Because for me, I go back and forth because, you know, on one end, obviously everyone, the, the problem people throw out with token weighted voting is that obviously, you know, the whales can just control it. Basically the founders and the early VCs, you know, they get the most tokens because they're the ones who created and they are the ones who invested in it early, which I mean, at the end of the day, why shouldn't they? I mean, considering they took all the risk and they put up the capital to create it, but then, you know, why would new people join if it's just a token way to vote? But I, at the, so, so it's like, I'm curious why you like token weighted voting and, and how you think, cause I, I, I can actually probably kind of like it, but I think it just needs to be balanced with like an on new forms of on-chain reputation. So it's like, it's a dual model. It's not token weighted to voting is bad. It, but it's not the only thing that should be within this kind of um, decision-making structure. Yeah, I mean, where your head's at on it is exactly where mine is too. It's um, So yeah, I mean, there's there's been a backlash against it and it's something that I've been very aware of for quite a long time that, you know, one coin, one vote trends to this pure plutocracy, right? Where um, the biggest token holders and, you know, wealth is power law distributed so you've got this kind of like long tail of of holders who you know have fraction of what a handful of large token holders have and, and you can see this in um so like the example i always bring up is the compound system so there's hundred ninety-eight thousand comp holders and 12 people vote and it's, you know, like A16Z paradigm and whoever else is, is in there and some universities and stuff um, who've been assigned as delegates. So it clearly doesn't work as a system that brings in a large amount of participants because they're fundamentally disempowered against these large token holders. Um, so, yeah, do you, you're do right. You, do, you, do, you, do you think, though, like, like do, the, do you think a lot of those people, though, actually want to participate? Yeah, I think there's just, they just they feel I'm, empowered or they just don't really want to participate that much. Or maybe they just got free both. comp tokens because they liquidity mined before and they don't really care that much. I think there's if there was a clear path into the organization and it was valuable for them to do it, I think there is, you know, we we've managed to recruit a large amount of community holders in our DAO over the last couple of years, and it's because we put a lot of effort into creating opportunities for them to participate and earn some more tokens for it um so you know i'll you take that two hundred thousand token holders and you know 
a small percentage will actually want to turn up and, and get involved in, in Dow business and, and work there. Um, and, you know, some, some would turn up more often to vote if their vote actually meant something, you know, or, or if the outcome of that vote had a meaningful input, uh, impact on, on their sort of participation in the system. So it's it's a lot of it's about disempowerment and and to sort of come back to the the point of like how you can sort of fix these things a little bit. One of the things that you can do is quadratic voting, which smooths out the impact. It sort of limits the weighting of your impact based on your holdings. Um, and there is civil resistance issues in that. Um, but it, it is a there is mechanisms out there for smoothing out the impact of these high weighted token holders. Um, but really, yeah, I think um, pure token voting, pure plutocratic token voting has its place. I mean, there, it makes sense that the people who have the most skin in the game should have a large impact in the DAO. And if you look at, say, Curve DAO, for example, um, that is almost that's a kind of governance minimized um, DAO that comes down to like crypto economic, crypto economic like power gains almost. And it comes down to like pure financial might. And for some protocols, that makes the most sense, particularly DeFi protocols. Um, but when you start moving away from these um, sort of pure financial gains and you want to build more sort of elaborate organizations, then you're going to need different mechanisms. And the, the thing that I'm most interested in at the moment is NFT governance. So with NFT governance, you can have an NFT that represents um, your identity within the DAO. Um, and again, we, we've developed a kind of quadratic voting process for this where every nft gets a budget of voting power and what it allows you to do then is attribute different amounts of voting power to different actors in the DAO. so you can say token id number 85 can have 3x the voting power of token id 150 for example and they might have earned that so that gets you into this reputation system and, and non-financial governance game which i think is the kind of next major era of, of decentralized governance Actually, just real quick, I think you really hit on a point there that I, I, I feel like I've been coming to in that I just think there, there's really different protocols or, or DAOs or whatever have should have different forms. Like there's some DAOs that I think, like you said, should just be pure, like probably could just be pure financialization, like pure power games where money talks. There's other ones where honestly, if the, if the governing body is doing well, I, I I don't actually mind if they run it, but then there's other ones, especially when you get into these, and maybe this hasn't happened a lot yet because we haven't really seen these kind of more social layer protocols really take off. Like people have thought about like social media and some, and, and some of these other ones, but also like core infrastructure layers might be best for this, but, but, you know, this moving beyond financialization, like you said, with NFTs, with, with things like on-chain reputation. So like there's other ones where I really want to participate more. So it's like, almost like, I feel like it's important for projects like to think a lot about like what type of DAO maybe is right for their protocol because not all of them really need to be like maximum participation from a huge audience. Like some maybe run more centralized, but people may be fine with that. Um, and maybe, I think there'll be a lot of different like some might do well in that model, others might not. And it'll be interesting to see how those kind of evolve. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, exactly my thesis on it, really. There's there's a whole, there's a 
there's a decentralization is a continuum, right? And there's going to be DAOs that work best with pure, you know, hyper financialization crypto economic games. And then there'll be some that work best with like almost pure egalitarian, you know, one NFT per person, flat voting hierarchies uh, with reputation systems in the middle. Some will work better with SBTs, some will work better without. And I think there's going to be this, there's, there's a really expressive uh, design space um, that we'll spend the next, you know, couple of decades figuring out what, what kind of organizations work best with different paradigms. Seems like in the hybridization model, like if you want a system that's in the middle where you have some financialization and you want some level of reputation system, that's if you want to be able to award participants, not just in a governance manner or in a reputation based manner, but being able to have initiatives where if you do work for the DAO, you can earn additional governance tokens yeah. or you earn some NFT. I guess the challenge really becomes how do you reward the participants who do honest work and reward them? while trying to disincentivize mercenary capital or just mercenary actors who just want to farm the system where they do the bare minimum amount of work to try and maximize their own personal rewards. Like, is there any method where we could find a happy medium or is it just, there's going to have to be some mercenary capital who latch on to the people trying to do honest, genuine work for the DAO? Yeah, it's, um, it's a really good question. I'll be publishing something on exactly this um, later in the week. There's a, I call it a continuum of contribution. You've got, um, I think there'll be downs that do almost kind of mechanical Turk work, you know? So you've got these like micro tasks that people can turn up and do that. That's like your airdrop farmers, you know, there's, there's going to be jobs that will help DAOs that are very easily trackable, farmable things. Uh, and that's cool. That's, that's fine. That's, that's at the lowest part of it. And then you can build these, um, We've, we've got a, a, an app we call Bank, which is for distributing tokens to many thousands of people using sort of Merkle trees. Um, and then as you move out, you, you start to have to introduce trust back into the system. So you can, we, we have this idea of like DAO basic income where we can, you come in, you've, you've helped around, you've, you've proven yourself to be a contributor and we will give you almost like three months of stipend in stable coins. And if you turn up and do work and it's cool, we'll give you another three months. And eventually you can start to extend the amount of uh, the amount of time that you're giving them on trust. So you start to have to integrate trust back into the game where it's like, look, we, we trust you to turn this up. We're not going to manage you. I'm going to watch you do this, but you turn up and deliver. Um, and, you know, you can start to extend trust out iteratively to participants over time. Um, and eventually you can imagine where like, look, we're just going to give you two years salary up front because we know you're going to, um, we know you're going to participate in your high value contributor that we want you to, um, to, to come and work for us. Um, and then there's lots of different iterations in between from everything from curation games where we can pay out people based on the quality of the work that they've done. And that's determined by vote. Um, and there's a whole sort of spectrum of different payout systems that we can build with DAOs um, that are very different to what you would get in a traditional organization. It's almost like, in my, from how I view it, is like DAOs will develop a reputation. Basically, you know, if, if they contract work out to different entities and they, you know, how fair, did, like they'll make decisions on whether, you know, 
how they handle the relationships with people that they distribute funds to. And, and if the general consensus is they operate in a fair and you know logical manner, they'll gain kind of a social reputation. Like basically their social consensus has a strong social reputa reputation in a way. And then more people want to join that DAO or will trust that that DAO is acting in good faith and they'll want to be a part of it where there'll be other DAOs that, you know, say someone does work for them and they didn't get compensated fairly or whatever. They just develop a bad reputation over time and less people want to join that DAO and that protocol or whatever is not as successful. seems like it's not like something you can directly codify. Um, it's like more of just like a reputation thing, which really is inevitable anyways to to yeah integrate within you know DAOs and with blockchain and smart contracts yeah and i think this is what a lot of the kind of sbt beat desoc narrative is about is trying to code codify that social sociality that um that emergent sort of reputation um so you could imagine having an nft that keeps a record of your contribution so you've you've got a almost like a portfolio of work that follows you around with your your nft and you know you've consistently delivered over and over and over again and that and that builds you a kind of reputation um attached to your nft that you can take with with you to other DAOs. and yeah i think you, you hit on an interesting point there which is as the DAO itself will have a, a reputation for consistently paying people efficiently and, and being fair about its compensation. I think that's a really interesting point. It's kind of like, you know, companies, they have like, you know, they have a general, it's not like written somewhere, but like they have a, there's a general consensus on whether they, you know, are, have a good product or service that people like and either they get more business or they don't. And it seems like DAOs will, that's just how they will work. So it'll really come down to the people within the DAO. If you have the right people in the DAO and you have a good culture and a lot of, um, you know, it, people just pick up on that over time and that becomes a more popular DAO. Whereas other ones that don't have a good culture, that don't have the right leaders or the right people influencing it, then it, it won't be as successful. Yeah. I think in, in many ways, DAOs are a kind of raw form of community in that sense. It's like DAOs are, an, I would say DAOs are an abstraction of people. Um, and whereas the company is a kind of, it's a kind of facade, it's like a black box. Like what, what is Facebook? It's this closed box that you have to apply to get into if you want to participate. Um, where DAOs are very much more social and community centric and consequently will be you know, judged and as successful based on what people are in there and what who the contributors are and whether people are having a good time and and enjoying themselves participating in it. Right. And they're like they're like rapidly transparent. Like, you know, yes. all the conversation is on a you know is on a forum for everyone to see and 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 like, you know, then you have all of crypto Twitter and like it'll just it's a very different um way of operating. Do you, yeah, do you I think, think like traditional companies will become DAOs or you think, I mean, what, what, you know, people say that, like, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? I think um, I can imagine some big companies having almost having DAOs as part of their organizational structure. 
Um, I think we'll see DAOs that will rival the size of some of the largest organizations in the future. Um, but yeah, I think I can well imagine, and not too far into the distant future, we'll see um, organizations exploring having DAO components within their organization because they'll be more effectively able to mediate um, overseas workers, you know, people from all, one of the things about DAOs is that they're implicitly international and global. Um, and they will develop processes that help you mediate very transient work. So you can imagine like digital nomads all, of, all over the world sort of plugging into a DAO to, to deliver the work that they want. And I think there's a, there's a huge amount of human capital out there in the world that wants to be transient, doesn't want to um, come and sign a contract that promises that they're going to turn up nine to five every day um, for the foreseeable future. Um, that want to be able to play multiple roles at once in different organizations. Um, and I think organizations will be able to, using DAOs, in, capture that human capital and, and increase their productivity because of it. And although, like, when looking, at least I, I've dived more into, like, almost like the governance structure of blockchains, how there's almost like a rage quit type option where if, you, if the minority disagrees with the majority, they can fork themselves off and basically run their own version, or at least that's, like, that's the idealistic approach, although it's not really practical with unforkable aspects of blockchains. But is there a dynamic within DAOs where the minority can hold the majority accountable, like a checks and balances type system? Like I assume reputation will play a large role in that, but it seems like there, regardless of the DAO structure, there's kind of often a dynamic where if the majority or at least the influential agree with something, the minority realistically can't do much beyond just leaving and spinning up their own DAOs. Like our DAO forks, not like not like the DAO fork, but DAO forks in general, is that a realistic concept or is that anything DAOs have approached thus far? Yeah, it's a really interesting, but I think there's, so one of the real innovations of the Moloch DAO pattern, which is a wonderful DAO design, um, is that there is this rage quit function. So you can contribute funds to the treasury. And if a proposal passes that you don't agree with, there's a period of time post vote where you can leave the DAO and take your funds with you and you literally just call a rage quit function. Um, and I think there's there will be iterations of that. I think can a DAO fork is a really interesting question. And yeah, I think it could. You could well imagine a very contentious decision in the DAO that splits the community, you know, 50-50 one way or another. Um, and it's entirely plausible that they could fork, generate their own tokens um and just fork off into a different into, into a different organization those communities can take the the path in a different direction um so yeah i think fork based consensus is is definitely something that has a future in DAOs. um so yeah and it, and it is the kind of blockchain way of resolving disputes and i think there's definitely going to be that will carry over into DAOs eventually yeah i suppose at, at the end other end of the spectrum beyond forking is basically mergers and acquisitions. I know Rari, the Rari DAO was merged with the Tribe DAO, and that was kind of a whole a whole thing that where not everyone is necessarily happy because of different varying exchange rates. But do, do you foresee like with with this topic of like DAO composability and reputation transferring across DAOs, are we likely to see more DAOs and merging with each other, or is that like such a complicated type situation that? either DAO may not be fully happy with the decision. Yeah, I, th I think we will. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some in the near future with everyone kind of struggling with their treasuries at the moment. 
Um, I mean, one of the concepts I'm very interested in is like meta-DAO structures where you have this um, overarching DAO governance system that can either incubate DAOs within itself. So Factory DAO will have a number of sub-DAOs that do these different, almost like departmental-like structures. So sub-DAOs and, you know, so some DAOs can, might benefit from operating within a very stable, larger organization. And for that, they can take a subset of tokens, um, pay some of their revenue or profits back to the, to the main DAO to do that. So I think we'll see some of that dynamic. We might even see a very large DAO structure turn up that basically absorbs smaller DAOs within itself. Um, and I think, yeah, we'll see more things like, yeah, the Rari things was a little bit of a mess, but it was the first, basically the first of its kind that, that I've seen. Um, but yeah, I think, we, and they can be networked as well. I think we'll see um, people talk about this DAO to DAO um, sort of end game where DAOs network with each other to share resources and uh, services and, and people and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, I can well imagine these things start to network up um, and merge and become, they're like very organic structures. So I would absolutely anticipate that to happen. It reminds me of a, well, a couple of things. One, what you just said there kind of reminds me of like um, Palaji's talk of like network states and then these network states, um, you know, recognizing one another and trading with one another and doing business. But it, it really gets to something that I've thought about before DAOs, just in governance in general this idea of scale, you know, on one end, I feel like when you're thinking about DAOs, like scale is extremely important to how you even think about constructing a DAO. I feel like a lot of smaller DAOs that have basically a more, like you have a bunch of people that are very similar, to be honest, and it's of a, a homogenous culture there, and they have a very specific focus they can be quite successful because they're all like very aligned and very into the one thing they're doing. But as you get these kind of DAOs, like say if Ethereum was a DAO or say these just like a big platform that encompasses a lot of different types of people from all around the world, a lot of different opinions, um, maybe even a multitude of different um, services and sources of revenue, it becomes like, extremely hard to um you know run a DAO like that i'm curious like what you think about particularly like larger DAOs, like how they would operate because to me that's going to be by far the hardest and almost prefer like a, a more of a minimized type of governance or maybe something there's like a bunch of sub DAOs within a meta DAO, and the meta DAO has much more limited function kind of like how the united states is supposed to be set up where you have a much more limited federal government but then you have more states you know running themselves I'm just curious what, how you think about these like massive like large DAOs. yeah i um i think we'll see i think DAOs can eventually hyperscale so like scale up to like once they've cracked the processes for uh contribution translation is going to be a huge piece of it and you know with ai developing the way it is there's going to be mechanisms and you know these are digitally native spaces so i do think we'll see absolutely gigantic DAOs. i think that's one of the things that makes them so exciting is that because they are sort of non-corporeal in a sense they don't they're not bound by brick and mortar they could 
scale to like monumentally huge organizations. But with that comes exactly the point that you, you raised there, which is you start to have more people to manage. So you've got these lots of divergent interests and perhaps competing interests and different cultural paradigms and all of these things. And, and this is where um, social consensus tools start to become really important. So one of the things that we've developed is, again, using this quadratic voting, um, instead of saying, you know, shall we do this, yes or no, uh, we have this kind of emergent governance process where we can say, here's a list of all the things we can do, which should we do? And we get this kind of consensus sorted list of priorities. So you have a much more nuanced voting system, which captures more diverse inputs. So people feel disempowered where, you know, there's a proposal's gone up and it's, shall we do this, yes or no? And most people didn't, didn't even want, the they don't know where the proposals come from and it doesn't mean anything to them and they weren't involved in the process. So you need processes that capture huge amounts of people's insights and desires um, and also dialogue. So one of the things I think it's important is when you're voting is to be able to say why you voted that way. Um, so you build these rich streams of information that are gathered from many thousands of people. So you can have this constant stream of what people think across the organization and their opinions are effectively captured and the good DAOs will operationalize and, and, and respond to as much of those um, opinions and desires as much as possible. Um, so it, it'll really come down to cracking these governance templates, you know, ossifying these processes that people can understand at scale, cracking contribution processes so you can pay out millions if you wanted to, and making sure you've got systems that allow you to listen to all of those people and make them feel meaningfully heard in the system. See, I, I almost think like, like I do think you, I guess you could have a massive doubt, but I almost think the best way to do that is to actually just where a lot of people who are quite alike join. I mean, I, I obviously they're going to have differences in opinion on some things, but I feel like if you, if you, like some protocols won't have this choice because they'll just be like backend infrastructure for everything. And it'd be very hard to, you know, you just will have a wide range of people. But I feel like, you know, it, it, I just feel like it'd be very hard to, I just feel like it would fracture, a DAO would fracture big time if you didn't have a lot of people that were fairly aligned. I think that's what makes like countries powerful when a lot of people are aligned together and they have a, kind of a single like a identity and a, and a, and a shared mm -hmm. culture that's what makes them powerful that's what makes political parties powerful that's what makes any club powerful like if you try to attract lots of different cultures and different ways of thinking it, it just becomes kind of a, a mess um and and obviously there are some positives where you get a lot of different types of feedback and stuff but also i mean look at the polarization now with all the different cultures coming together like it, it seems it just seems hard to do in a way. Although I do think that, you know, say you take Ethereum and you were, it was, say it was a DAO, like you wouldn't really have a choice. Like it's, this is, there'd be some protocols that are just so massively used and big that, that they'll have to learn how to deal with this. But I feel like a lot of the really, I could see like some big investment ones or like social type club ones that just become really big because they just have this like culture that everyone is into in a way. Yeah. 
I think the cultural alignment's like definitely a huge thing. And I think this is why you need to, you, you need to be able to have the systems for collecting what, what are our shared values? Like what, what is the culture that we can all align around? And remember there's going to be like thousands of DAOs all along the site. So you, you can essentially just gravitate to the DAO that best aligns with your values. So I think you're absolutely spot on. We, you need that cultural framework that everyone sort of get behind and identify with. Um, but again, like they will fracture. And I, I, I think there's, you can use sub DAOs and actually even fractal governance structure where you, you, you could be in a DAO with 10,000 people, but ultimately who you're collaborating with is a small group of people in your little sub sub DAO or nano DAOs as I call them. Um, that might even run on trust. You know, there's no necessarily voting, but you get some funding to go and do that thing that you guys have decided to, to collaborate on. Um, so breaking huge, massive groups down into subgroups where people have very tight alignment is definitely a way that, it, that DAOs could hugely scale. It does, it does seem like beyond there being like a difference in culture and way of thinking that could end up creating a lot of friction, but it seems like some DAOs and I'll use MakerDAO as an example where there's kind of people coordinating on decisions, but they're all kind of hyper-focused on the implementation details and what kind of ends up lacking is like an overarching vision that everyone can align around. And they end up kind of just nitpicking on specific details and switching back and forth between, you know, Maker MakerDAO case, are they going to be crypto-only collateralized, fully decentralized, or are they going to go towards real-world assets and go towards more scalable, more centralized assets? It seems like if there's not a mechanism for people to align on a specific vision for the protocol itself, that even if you have necessarily like sub DAOs, like if the, if there isn't an overarching vision between DAOs within an overarching organization, it seems like inevitably there'll always be some, some clash. Do, do you think there's any structure to resolve the ability to create vision? Is that a governance DAO process itself, or is that more just kind of one DAO imposes on all the other DAOs what the vision is going to be and you have to accept it or fork yourself out? Yeah, I think I think there is, and it's definitely something we've been thinking about a lot. And there's, um, it does come down to the ability to express your preference. If you can meaningfully share your preference to a shared space and feel like you've had your voice heard, even if the outcome does not necessarily align exactly with what you what you directly want yourself, if you can be happy with the consensus, and if you're not, you can join a different DAO and. You know, MakerDAO is an interesting one. We could end up seeing a kind of fork there or something um, where there's, there's, there seems to be two different clear camps. And that's, that's when things can cause real problems, right? But they, they've not really, to my view, had the right mechanism to be able to resolve that conflict because they're just using a kind of forum um, and occasional yes, no votes. So I, I do think we're just missing the some of the tools there that's necessary to meaningfully capture consensus in a more expressive way. Um, but ultimately it might come down with, you've got a DAO that's got, you know, two different separate camps and because they are a DAO, they can split and fork and start their own DAO. In fact, sort of Rye is almost a kind of fork of MakerDAO that's gone down this much more governance minimized um, crypto collateral approach. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see some more migration to Rye um, as if things don't pan out and make it out that people want. And that's another way these things can get resolved. Yeah, it's an interesting point about rides. It seems like MakerDAO itself, the latest proposal to, to sell the, dot, the 
their USDC for ETH that they're basically trying to go down that model with no peg. But it's it's yeah interesting to see. <laughs> it's that a like an hour ago or something. Like yeah, that would be pretty wild if they do that. Yeah, um, like either well, you want you either want like die to be at a dollar or you don't. Like it's there's not really a compromise. It's like there has to be a fork or everybody has to be forced to a position, which is is an interesting dynamic. I don't know if it'll be fully resolved. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes some, some conflicts are just not resolvable um, and we go our own way. And that's that's kind of what happens um, in blockchains. But I do think it's possible that, you know, with with better, you know, where I think we'll head is instead of just having this kind of yes, no voting paradigm, we move into more like decentralized decision making where there's, um, there's just a much more nuanced way of receiving opinion from a larger group of people. So, you know, not everyone has the right technical knowledge to be able to input on all the important decisions. So, you know, not, ev- not everyone's opinion is equal on all things. Um, and I think we'll start to see, certainly with reputation dynamics and things like that, I think we'll be able to start to resolve these, these problems of, um, you know, we're stuck in this paradigm where the richest people have the ha- loudest voice. And that's not doesn't mean just because they've got a lot of crypto, they know exactly the right thing to do for that decision. So we just need better decision making tools, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think my last question for you is, we've talked a lot about like the structure of DAOs and how to achieve social consensus and the, 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 the balances that need to be struck. In terms of like the utility and the purpose of DAOs, you know, a lot of them today have been, how do we govern this protocol? How do we manage these parameters that manage user funds? And then we have kind of like NFT style DAOs where they don't necessarily have a clear purpose, but they're more of just like a social club. Do you see like five years down the line that the vast majority or rather the most influential DAOs are not necessarily going to be DAOs governing parameters, but rather just DAOs being more like almost like a political group or like a super PAC of greater societal change? Is that like, is that going to be a huge area for DAOs in the future? And at that point, how important does the blockchain portion of a DAO become if they're not governing parameters? Yeah, I think yeah, I think there's going to be a point where the cryptoness of a DAO becomes less less of the primary focus. I think we're we're very much in this, you know, we're, we're right at the beginning of this Web three wave, and everyone's super excited about talking about in this very self referential way about the about the technology itself, and what we talk about is you know, blockchains and L1s and L2s and NFTs and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and actually, it'll just eventually become far more transparent. And, and for that reason, I think DAOs could be the thing that take us to a kind of mass adoption um, because people will be able to join communities that they care about. And crypto is just the backbone that facilitates the mass collaboration. It allows them to achieve goals and fund things that they couldn't do before and collaborate with people on the internet that they would have never met before um and yeah i think we'll see like creative institutions arise i think we'll see social movements um artist movements music movements um all these sort of huge cultural things um can emerge on the internet because they have the tools to be able to fund themselves into existence now so yeah absolutely i think you know, we've done our job right. Um, if we're building infrastructure, if people just stop talking about the tools themselves so much and just start doing the things that they want to do with them. I, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. And I haven't really thought about this a lot, but I think you guys are spot on here in that 
especially if you look at the way society is right now, like the current state of overall society, it's in a very weird, polarized, like slight uneasiness about where it's going, unsustainable, like, especially in the West, at least, um, feeling. And in a lot of the levers to, and I think part of it is obviously people are unhappy with the current, you know, management and intermediaries and governments of the world, but also like the tools to enact change have like largely been kind of like eradicated in a way or become very like very implausible to actually bring about real change. They've been kind of captured or minimized. And so you have then this like blockchain technology. Not only do you have this new forms of money, you have these new types of applications, and now you have these new organizational structures. And like you guys just said before, like it is really this tool for mass social collaboration around anything. And 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 so like you have this perfect macro environment where people are you know looking to enact change and they're not very happy with the status quo and they're gonna they're probably going to that trend is probably going to continue and then you have this new tool that's available um that i think they're going to want to use once people start to figure out how to use it and there's better tooling and so yeah i could see like super PACs and like big organizations around very specific causes and you can be pseudo anonymous with them and there's like a lot of these unique advantages that you can do to solve a very pressing macroeconomic reality that people are growing increasingly unhappy with. Yeah, I think it is. I, I agree with you. I think the context is kind of right for this. That we we just had the kind of weirdest few years <laughs> like that you can imagine really. And and we've seen large centralized institutions and governance systems just fail and, and crumble right in front of our eyes. And I think it's created a context where people want to explore something different and people do feel disempowered and they feel worried about um, centralized power and overreach and authoritarianism. And, um, and you're right, there is this new emerging movement on the internet where you can take agency and control over your life and earn money on the internet. And um, it's like governance without government and, and it, I think people, when they realize it's it's possible to empower yourself in a system and, and take agency over a community somewhere, and it might be locally, I think there'll be local DAOs where people start to take control of their own local communities and pool money together and fund things that they want to achieve as a community. So I think there's a desire to see a different paradigm of governance and, you know, the evidence is there right in front of our eyes of why it's needed at the moment. So, yeah, I think the context is right for it. The way I kind of see it is like people within the crypto space are kind of hyper-focused on like, how can these tools be used for crypto? And I think the actual signal and value of these tools end up kind of get lost in the process where like, you know, NFTs are more than just JPEGs. DeFi is more than just a digital casino. And DAOs are more than just governing crypto parameters, but rather are just tools for which we found an initial product market fit within the crypto ecosystem, because we're you know we're already crypto native. But as the user experience gets more simplified and as these systems themselves actually are able to scale both technically and socially, then I think that people end up realizing that crypto is just a facilitator; it's just a backend infrastructure, but it's not actual not why you use the systems, but rather 
what you can do with the systems or that's kind of how I view. And at least ideally the vision is that more people start to come to that realization that these tools can end up being used to solve problems in the real world. And the speculation of crypto is just a necessary phase for funding development and for testing that these pieces of infrastructure actually work. And so if ideally we can figure out what the pitfalls are and we can solve around those pitfalls within crypto, then it seems like a lot of the same logic can just end up being applied to much greater systems that have more impact on on people in their average lives. So it seems like that that's that's the ultimate direction of DAOs, and I think it's helpful for any listeners to kind of zoom out and think about DAOs in a more holistic context. And it seems like that's a lot of what you've been kind of talking about, uh, Nick, in your in your articles. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think yeah, we're very much on the same page there. Um, yeah, I think we're we're moving into a phase where we're moving out of this purely speculative crypto bonanza where we're just all flipping tokens for no particular reason. And I think it's the next wave will be driven by us finding those real use cases and having some direct impact in the real world. Um, and I think as soon as people start seeing things like DAOs and things like smart contracts and um, all the infrastructure we're building here, having a real world impact and doing things that haven't previously been possible because the technology been, hasn't been there. I think that's when people, when, they, when it will really capture the public's imagination and will, um, I think the, the, they will see a huge mass adoption of crypto when it's basically transparent and the tools are easy to use and it, it will impact your real life and it'll, it'll transform your communities and, and you'll find people on the internet and make friends with them and, and, and have fun and make money and do all these fun things that haven't been possible before. I agree with you, but I also think uh, we're also in for the fight that's coming because this technology is very disrupting to traditional power structures. And so it's going to be very interesting uh, next decade, I think, with this clash of traditional, of the current power structure and this kind of Web3 disruptive power structure. Yeah. And, you know, I think I'm hopeful that people will realize there's not much stopping this in the sense that, you know, digitization, digital transformation of, of things is it's a it's not a direction that's going to slow down. You know, we're, we're heading into an era of automate automation through AI and, um, you know, digital impact of the world isn't going to stop. And, and in fact, we need new ways to solve problems because the problems are just getting bigger and more complex. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping it's going to end up, it, it, it's the sort of game theory is it's like collaboration or adversary, right? And um, the collaborative approach is the one that where everyone sort of wins. And if it gets adversarial, then um, it's not, it's just not going to be fun for anyone and ultimately becomes kind of futile because these are decentralized technologies. Um and you, you can't control everyone from stopping them because they're open source protocols. Um, so yeah, I'm hopeful that the right decisions will be made and, and we find a sort of synergistic way to work with traditional systems and improve themselves and, and, and use all this stuff productively. Um, but you're right, it could could go the other way. Let's hope it doesn't. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how DAOs evolve over time. I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast, Nick. I think this was a very interesting discussion. I think there's immense value in DAOs that go beyond just facilitating 
crypto protocols, and we're kind of seeing just the natural emergence of these new governance structures. Uh, do, is there any rec resources or uh, blogs that you would recommend diving into to learn more about DAOs and kind of the complexities and the nuances involved with them? Um, I'm I'm attempting to write a lot more on DAOs these days. Um, so I have a Substack called the Crypto Space. Um, my Twitter's at Dr. Nick A. Uh, do follow along. I'll happily talk to you all day about DAOs if you want to. Amazing. Yeah, I would definitely recommend reading some of Nick's articles. They're very, very insightful. Um, I'm not the most focused on governance, more so on the financialization aspect of crypto, but it's always interesting because the governance aspect rules over the financialization and determines really how this technology is going to evolve. So I appreciate you, Nick, coming on and have a good one, everyone.